Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He is the new papa who is dealing with an angry baby in his house right now. Welcome in, Dave Simone. Dave, what's going on, brother? You know, just working with the two-month-old while we're uh, trying to move this week. So, you know, nothing too too big. One of the One of the worst ideas I've ever heard, but... I mean, you know, <laughs> when your house is done being built, your house is done being built, right? That's right. All right, we uh, we have a lot to talk about today. I don't know how much of it we want to talk about in the first portion of the show, but we'll do it anyway. And then we'll talk about the battle for the victory bell as the Bearcats look to extend their streak of keeping the victory bell here in Cincinnati. I want to thank everyone that came out and joined us for the watch party at Taft's Brewporium on Saturday. Unfortunately, it was uh, not as fun of an experience by about halftime, but uh, very, very excellent. Considering, Dave, considering there were probably 10,000 UC fans in Columbus, it was a phenomenal turnout. Uh, every table was full. And Taft's was rocking again. Um, not a lot to cheer about, but we'll 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 remedy that here in the in the next couple weeks uh, as the Bearcats get back on the road and Taft's continues to host watch parties. Those will be going on throughout the year, every road game, and you can join us at Taft's for the Bearcat Journal watch parties. Uh, no half price pints this time. There weren't any Bearcat touchdowns, yeah. as you remember. But when the Bearcats do score a touchdown during the watch party, there will be half-price pints from the time they score the touchdown until they get the ball back. So take advantage of those deals. Come join us. It was a great time, even though the outcome wasn't so wonderful. <clears throat> I wasn't feeling well either. I did have a pizza. That was delicious. Um... But it was a rough day, Dave. It was a rough Saturday. You were, fortunately for you, you were on the road to Michigan, so you uh, you did you watched it on your phone, but you did not have the full experience of uh, taking in that game, sitting on your couch and watching your anger level bubble. Yes, thankfully, turns out I watched some of the game from a marathon gas station parking lot in Finley, Ohio. Bye. <laughs> I fed our son, and then as soon as we got to Michigan, we were occupied with things all the way till early in the morning, so didn't really see much of the end of the game, the reaction to the game, didn't go back and watch the game, so for me, it kind of didn't happen, so it was all right. Well, then you should be the perfect person to talk to about the game. One that doesn't have any memory of it. <laughs> Look, let's let's be honest. We talked about this last week. It, it was going to be a situation where Cincinnati was going to have to go in, catch Ohio State off guard a little bit, play really well, and have Ohio State not play at a high level. None of those things happened. Cincinnati did not play well. We will get to this uh, as we continue through this podcast. But through two games, Dave, this team is not playing clean football. There are third down penalties on defense that are extending drives. Uh, 
There are a little bit of head-scratching penalties on offense, more so in the UCLA game than in the Ohio State game. Um, none of those things really were going to have an impact on the outcome of the Ohio State game. But as we get to week three, this team's going to have to play a lot more clean. And, and that was more than anything like Ohio State was the better football team. And that game was Ohio State absolutely dominated in the trenches. Uh, that would have been, unfortunately, sorry, I did not do a Brendel's Bites this week. I was in the uh, emergency room for a little bit of a uh, gastrointestinal issue that I had been dealing with all day Saturday. Everything's fine. Nothing to stress out about. Nobody worry. But I didn't get to do a Brendel's Bites, uh, unfortunately, before uh, it was time for carries upon further review. You'll get a lot of my thoughts here. Ohio State just flat out at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. It wasn't a fair fight. And when that is the case, I know a lot of people want to talk about scheme and and thought process and what are the coaches thinking and, and why don't they see what I see? In the moment, when you're getting your ass kicked on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage, when you're starting the play two yards behind the snap and they're starting to play three yards in front of the snap over 60 minutes, Dave, that's a recipe for 42 to nothing. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, we, we were, you see chance to win this game was going to be playing really, really well and hoping that Justin Fields played, you know, like a freshman in his second start and that he didn't, take a big progression from week one to week two and you hit some big plays and you catch some breaks and, and you hang in there long enough to then maybe you then have a shot in the fourth quarter or something like that. And just, you know, they, they played okay at the very beginning, you know, missing, I think missing the field goal again, kind of similar to the UCF game last year ended up being a big, big turning point because they went right down and scored to go up 14 nothing. where you make that, it's 7-3. to three. Maybe you stabilize a little bit. Um, you know, you, you realize, okay, some, some of these things we're doing, you know, might be working. We just had a decent drive. We got down there fairly close. I know Coach Fickle said in hindsight he probably – should have, would have gone for it. I, I actually tend to agree with kicking there just because of the, you know, at some point you got to, you can't just not attempt field goals. You know, it was a fairly short kick, I believe, like 31 yards or something. And yeah. You have to have, you have to have faith in your operation that, you know, that you're going to be able to get that done. You can't be constantly going for it on fourth down when you're that close in a game like that where points matter. And, and, just from a confidence standpoint, you make that kick, you know, you're like, okay, we're, we, we, we've gone toe-to-toe with them in the first quarter. They score a touchdown. We, we stopped them on fourth down. We answer with a field goal. Okay, here we go. Let's see what we can do from this point. But, you know, from that point, like I said, 7 nothing missed field goal, 14 nothing real quick. And then we saw it kind of snowball in, in the second quarter where they were up 28 nothing at halftime, and that was kind of the game right there. 
Yeah. Um, I, I do want to touch on, and we talked about this a little bit today off the air. There's been a little uh, disdain for the play calling. And I want to go over it, especially the, the drives in the first and second quarter. We can touch on the third quarter a little bit, but I don't think that matters as much at 28 to nothing. Um, the, the complaint has been lack of creativity by the offense, lack of imagination by Mike Denbrock. When I watched the game initially, I thought they did a pretty good job in terms of mixing it up and, and trying to keep Ohio State on their toes as much as possible when you're dealing with defensive ends that you flat out can't block. So let's go through it, Dave. That The, the first drive will throw out. They get the ball at the one. Right. I mean, what are you really going to accomplish there? There's not much you can do there. They, 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 Ritter goes up the middle for no gain. Warren runs it for two yards. Incomplete to DeGuara. James Smith punts. Um, Ohio State goes in, scores a touchdown. Cincinnati gets the ball at their 25. First play of that drive. Ritter down the seam to DeGuara for 21 yards. That's pretty creative, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about. If there was a weak link on the Ohio State defense, we saw that it would be the linebackers and to a lesser extent the secondary. And so you're, you know, you see he's got, Several good tight ends. We figured, you know, that those were the matchups that they needed to try to exploit. So now you're at the 40, your own 46-yard line, first and 10. This is where people, the, the thing that people get upset about, they try to run Mike Warren twice. Well, the first two real situations where you're running Mike Warren and neither of them work. So they are sitting at third and nine. I, I can get a little bit of uneasiness at that point in time, but it's your first real drive. You just hit them down the seam for 21 yards, and you're running Mike Warren. Let's let's also discuss here, you know what you're not doing? You're not trying to run Mike Warren to the edges because he doesn't have the speed against Ohio State's defense to get to the edges. What does Mike Warren do? He runs up the middle or he runs off the guards or tackles. So they ran him up the middle on the first play. They ran him over right guard on the second play. And then Ritter sacked by Malik Harrison and Chase Young on third and nine on a play where he barely had a a second to breathe. Do you take issue with that? Do you take umbrage with that? I'll give you the floor. For not being no, a little more not, creative there on first and second down. Not, not totally. I mean, you're you're not going to be. It's it's kind of a two way deal. You're not going to be someone you're not. Like they're not all of a sudden going to go five wide and run the air raid. But at the same time, you kind of have to know where you stand as far as like, I know this is, we're a power running team. We're a program built on the line, but I don't think anybody needed to like do a whole lot of game prep to know that running him up the middle at the beginning of the game without trying to do some things horizontally 
was going to work. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of six and one half dozen the other. You, you send Dez back there with the line that we saw didn't protect him well at all. I mean, I don't think any of the stacks were really covered stacks. They were, he got, he dropped back and he was in duress pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, maybe you can make an argument that, you know, let's keep throwing, let's do some option stuff. Let's give Dez some, some sprint outs, some bootlegs, some rollouts, some, some easy throws on that perimeter that are, you know, just a one-on-one type throw. You, you snap it, sprint out to the right, throw, stuff like that. I, I mean, this is the part about what we talk about and why I try not to get into this is because guess how much practice time and film time you and I spend or anybody that listens to this spends, and it's zero. So Bob... The accountant telling Mike Dembrock what plays he should call is comical. All right, let's get let's get to possession number two. They stop Ohio State on fourth and one at their own twenty. Take over at the twenty with two forty one left in the first quarter. First down, Ritter pass on the sideline incomplete to Deguara. I think that was they tried that little. Uh, that little underneath screen kind of swing pass they do to him. Um, That was well covered. It was not there. Incomplete. Second down and 10. Ritter, 25 yards to Pierce. Pretty good, right? Passing on first and second down. That's what people want. First and 10 at the Cincinnati 45. They go out wide to try to spread the defense out. They go out wide to Trent Cloud. No game. They say they give him one yard. No gain, one yard, whatever. They do it again. Doesn't work again because you're just there's too much speed for Ohio State on the edges. That they're you're not going to be able to get a guy in space on those little swings and and bubbles and screens, and you're not going to win those one on one battles more often than not. Third and nine. Ritter hits Alec Pierce over the middle, eight yards, makes it fourth and one. Cincinnati calls a timeout with 15 seconds left in the quarter. Ritter runs for three, picks up the first down. So I, that drive, if you're looking for them to spread it around and uh, and and do things a little bit differently, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, you're in their territory. You just picked up the first down on, you know, on fourth down. All right. First down and 10. So this is, if you take out the first drive, this is what, the the third time they've given the ball to Warren. So we're in the second quarter. Michael Warren's already uh, only had one touch. Over left end, no gain. OSU 43. Ritter runs it for six on second down. Third down, Chase Young uh, forces Ritter out of the pocket, and you get the personal foul on Tommy Goyai or whatever his name is. Uh, pushes the ball to the Cincinnati 22-yard line. Cincinnati tries to throw again on first down. So at this point in time, I believe they've only run on two first downs. Not counting the first series that was started at the one-yard line. And both of those came after they had picked up a first down. 
So they they have not run on the first play of either series where they had decent field position. This is now, I believe, the third first down of this drive, and it's the first time they've run on first down. Second down and 10 after the no gain for Ritter. Ritter runs right for six yards. And then on third and four, or no, we already did that, sorry. First and 10 from the Ohio State 22. Sack for a loss of seven. Tyreek Smith basically untouched off the edge. So that's a first down there. Second and 17. Ritter goes sideline to Thomas Geddes. A little bit of a bad throw, I thought, from Dez there. I thought there's a chance he could have hit Geddes. Unfortunately, he did not. Um, that sets up third and four. Or no, wait, 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 wait. That was complete to Geddes for 13 yards. My bad. My reading comprehension is bad. I was thinking of a different play. Complete to Geddes for 13. That takes him to the 16. Maybe you have a problem here. Third and fourth, the Ohio State 16. They run Warren up the middle for two. So we're now on two calls that you could maybe realistically say you might have wanted to take a shot there instead of running the ball uh, in that situation. Warren gets two yards on third and four at the 16. That takes him to the 14, and you have the blocked uh, field goal. Ohio State marches down, scores 14-0. First play on the next series, for down 14 to nothing. Drop back to pass. Ritter sacked. Loss of seven. That's the ball. One where Dez fumbled. Ferguson fell on it. Uh, ball at the 26. So second and 11. Ritter pass over the middle. Three yards to Medeiros. Third down and eight. Ritter pass. Incomplete to Jay Sean Jackson. I, I, are we getting to a point, Dave, where you think this play calling is overly conservative? No, I don't think so at all. I mean, if you're, if you're going to isolate... I mean, if you're, if we're going to isolate individual plays and be like, oh, they shouldn't have run that. Well, no kidding. I'm sure that happens. At, right. That's what I'm getting at. That's what staff I'm... Is saying the same thing. Oh, we shouldn't have ran it there on third and four. We probably should have thrown. Like they're doing the same thing. It's not like they're running. Like Mike Ward had 14 carries in the first quarter for 15 yards. And, and everyone's like, why do you keep doing this? Like right. when they used, when Eddie Graham would just run Ralph David Abernathy up the middle ten times a game, like you know, you're gonna, almost yeah, exclusively you run, on first and second down, they're throwing the ball. Right. The execution sucked. Like because Ohio State's really was, good. <laughs> right, Ohio State's really good, and UC didn't play well. I mean, just just call the spade the spade. Like UC played. Like crap, Ohio State had a lot to do with it, but I don't think anybody watching that game was like, this is the team we expected to see, not only just that game, but like this year. I mean, the offense didn't play well. The offensive line certainly didn't play well. The defensive line didn't play well. I didn't think the linebackers played well. I thought the corners were bailing all the time. Now, that might have been something they were told to, but like on Dobbins' 60-yard touchdown run, the run fits by the linebackers were atrocious. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it was a, a just a crap game all the way around by everybody. Let's and let's round out. When you, let's... when you play a really good team on the road, you get blown out. If you play a crap game and they play good, like you can 
play a crap game at home against Tulsa and still probably win by two touchdowns. It's just when it's magnified given the circumstances. Let's finish out this exercise with the first half. Uh, next drive, Ritter runs for 13. That's the play he got hit in the back, comes out. Bryant comes in. The next two plays are runs, both of them for three yards each. I don't think anyone would have a problem with Ben Bryant coming into the game and you give the ball to Mike Warren. Third down and four, incomplete to Warren. Cincinnati punts. Ohio State marches down the field, scores again. 28-0, Cincinnati gets the ball with 153 left in the half. Ritter comes back in, pass to Pierce for 14, pass to Josiah DeGuara for five, deep to DeGuara incomplete, pass to Wiley incomplete on third and five, and they punt again. Again, not conservative. They were trying to attack Ohio State through the air with the passing game. And it didn't work. It didn't work. And sometimes that happens. But creating false narratives doesn't do anybody any good because you're not you're not actually talking about what happened in the game. You're not helping the cause because you're talking about things that didn't actually happen. And that's just kind of my stance on that. Like I know people dislike me for taking these stances and, and having the, the the contrarian opinion, if you will. But that's the reality of the situation. Like, just look at it for what it is. Watch what actually happens. Comment on what actually happens and not what you're perceiving or what you think happened. Because a lot of times that's not it. That's not what happened. So that's my rant on that. We just went through well, the first here's half. A, here's a stat for the first half. Des, now, some of them, the way that they say it, he might have dropped back and then rushed, and it just says rushed for three yards. He might have, right. like, so this number could actually be higher. I have him at 18 dropbacks. In the first half. So, yes, in the first half. Some of those he was sacked. Some of those were completed. Some of those were incomplete. And there's probably more because if it says Des Ritter rushed for three yards, he might have dropped back and then scrambled and ran for three yards. So 18 dropbacks in the first half. It's probably, I didn't count all the plays they ran in the first half. It's probably, what, would you guess 65, 70%? Probably, yeah. They were trying to move the ball down the field and to pass the ball because they knew they weren't going to be able to run on Ohio State. They were not lining up and just running right at them because they knew that wasn't going to work. Did they try it a couple times? Yeah, because you have to keep a team that is coming after your quarterback like their hair is on fire. You have to try to keep them honest in some way, shape, or form. And guess what? The two guys that could get outside, Charles Dokes and Charles McClellan and Jared Dokes, they weren't available. They weren't there. And Mike Warren is not going to beat Ohio State. He's not going to beat Tyreek Smith and Chase Young to the edge on running plays. I love Mike Warren. He's a phenomenal college back. That's not his strength. So 
I mean, that's, I don't have a whole lot more to say on the Ohio State game. I just wanted to talk about that because I, 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 I know fans get caught up in the emotion of the moment. And they see at times what they want to see and not what actually happened. And I just wanted to go through it. Like, offensively, they tried everything in their power to pass the ball, push the ball downfield, get the ball out wide on the edges away from that Ohio State defensive line, and very little of it worked. You know what did work? The one guy that worked was Alec Pierce. Yeah. So we'll give Alec Pierce a lot of credit here. He was really good. Four catches, 93 yards, long of 46. They got him on a deep ball in the second half. They got him on an intermediate ball in the first quarter. They got him on a couple routes over the middle uh, in the second quarter. Alec Pierce played really well. Josiah DeGuara did as much as a three three catches, 46 yards. Uh, they, they just struggled to get anything else going in the passing game. The running game, a game Michael Warren will never want to remember. Ten attempts. Michael Warren only had 10 attempts, by the way. 16 yards. Tavion Thomas did have some success. 11 carries, 58 yards. A lot of that was in the fourth quarter. Yes, he fumbled at the goal line. Uh, but I thought he ran pretty well, given the circumstances. First action of the year. Ryan Montgomery, I thought, looked good. He had one carry for 12 yards. I thought he looked pretty good on his one carry. Maybe you can argue if you want to get to the edges, you should have had him in there. But do you worry about is Ryan Montgomery ready to pick up a blitz from Chase Young? Or uh, uh, Chase Young gets gets past the quarterback and is coming to Des Ritter? Do you want a, a, tr- a true freshman and Ryan Montgomery back there protecting him? Probably not. Um, I don't know. That That's... Ohio State dominated the line of scrimmage on offense and on defense. And when that happens to you, the greatest game plan in the world isn't going to win. That's that's just my take on the game in a nutshell. You got anything else? Not really. All right, good. On to the battle for the victory bell. The Bearcats are at home, Nippert Stadium, noon on Saturday. I am going to be a tired pup. I will be watching Jack White and the Rack and Tours on Friday night in Columbus. I will be at the game. I'm going to I feel bad because I was not at the Simone family tailgate uh, for the UCLA game. So I'm going to try to swing by for a little bit. Then I will head into the stadium and Bearcats Redhawks. Is it 14 years now? 14 consecutive years. They've won the bell. This is 15. I mean- It'll be 14 in like 72 hours or whatever it is. 13. They've won 13 in a row. This is 14. Um, Yeah, 2005 was the last Miami win. Tell me about Miami. What do I need to know about the Red Hawks other than true freshman uh, Blaine Gabbard's brother is the quarterback for the Red Hawks Blaine Gabbard's brother is their quarterback. They, um... Week one, hung in there with Iowa, first half, trailed only 10-7. Second half, just, you know, got away from them. Got beat up pretty good in the second half. This past week, played uh, Tennessee Tech High School, which which is apparently a college, but after watching some of the highlights, looked like a high school. Uh, They were up. They were up forty-one to three at halftime. Tennessee Tech 
Uh, had turnovers on three straight possessions, one return for a touchdown. Uh, I think Miami played every player on their roster. Uh, Coach Martin said that in the third and fourth quarter, they were playing the fours and the fives. So I, I want to say he said 83 guys got in the game. I don't know if any starters played in the second half. It sounds like they have some significant injuries from the Iowa game where they're leading running back, wide receiver, tight end, and I think Mike Linebacker are probably doubtful for the game. Uh, He made a comment yesterday that the injuries were more in the two to three week range and not really in the one to two week. None of them seemed to be serious, but he did not sound optimistic that those guys would go Saturday. Um, Like you said, freshman, true freshman quarterback. Uh, They do have some experience sprinkled in across their offensive line, but I think they're also starting two guys that maybe now have two or three career starts. They either had one coming into the year or the Iowa game was their first. I'm not entirely sure. Um, some, some decent talent. Defensive line uh, has, has some decent talent. Defensive backs has some decent talent. I think if if the linebacker can't play, they could be in trouble there just because they're already missing uh, his name escapes me now, but their senior linebacker from last year pretty much led them yeah, in the, every by far their best player. Yeah. I think Luke Bolden from Coleraine is actually starting at linebacker for them right now. But, you know, I think it's Chuck Martin described UC as the physicality of Iowa with better athletes. And I don't disagree. Um, I don't think anyone has ever, outside of the tight end position for Iowa, which has been awesome through the years, they're definitely a in-the-trenches, run-the-ball, play-defense type team. So, you know, there's gonna, they're going to be – have some familiarity with that, but you know, how much does playing against the team last week and where you have some inexperienced players and they only play a half, how much does that hurt? How much does it help that you got a good test from Iowa and you were in the game for a half? So you won't be totally surprised with what you see is as if you started with, you know, a Sunbelt team and an FCS team or something like that. To me, this game, is, it's all on UC. Like, if UC bounces back and puts the Ohio State game behind them and plays with energy, plays with toughness, you know, plays smart, like we've talked about, they haven't, you know, there's been too many, especially against Ohio State, too many errors that you're not going to win games against good teams, committing penalties and turnovers and, and things like that. So if they play the game, we probably feel they can play. I don't, you know, I don't 
really see an issue here. I think this is one of those situations where it's more what is UC going to do versus what is Miami going to do to UC. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, like, when we talk about Ohio State just outmatched UC, in a lot of ways, UC should just match out, outmatch Miami. UC should be better along the, the, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. If UC handled UCLA the way that they did, although UCLA losing to San Diego State, eh, start to the questions about Chip Kelly start to enter a little bit more. But I, mean, I don't. I thought about this. I don't know that Miami's too far behind UCLA. Okay. Like they're they're kind of the same. I mean, UCLA has better athletes, but like it doesn't mean they have better football players. Right. I don't know that they're like. I'm not saying that they're even. But I don't think there's some, like, big gap between UCLA and Miami. I mean, that's fair. Where where do you think UC would have their, their biggest advantages against Miami? Um, against Miami? The defensive line and linebackers should. Because Miami, I don't know what the deal is. It doesn't seem to matter who plays offensive line and who plays running back. They just can't run the ball. Uh, Like, their leading rusher this year, I think, has like 60 yards through two games. One against Tennessee Tech high. Right. So, I don't – I just – I don't get it. Um, So, I would hope that we would see kind of a resurgence to more of how UC played the run against UCLA – and then I think I don't think they can contain Dez. They don't have edge guys and they don't have speed at the linebacker position to contain him. And while I think they're okay pretty good in the secondary, it's not it's a depth issue to where UC should be able to kind of spread the ball around and find the mismatches in that in that way. And I do think that's one thing we're starting to see that at least you're getting a little bit more comfortable with is that wide receiver group. I think Pierce has played exceptionally well uh, in both games. He missed about half of the UCLA game with an ankle sprain after that 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 long catch uh, early in the game, but came back in, made an impact. I, I think Thomas Geddes has actually been very good when he's been on the field. Jayshon Jackson has been on the outside uh, quite a bit. I think he's been solid. Uh, I, Trent Cloud, it's hard to tell. I, I didn't think he really was in much of a position to succeed against Ohio State in terms of um, using him as like a, a screen guy against their defense against Miami. I think stuff like that has a chance to be a lot more effective uh, than we saw it against Ohio State. So I, and then you look at Deguara, you you throw Wiley in there, Josh Wiley. You you throw Bruno Labelle in there. 
I think the tight ends have a chance to be effective. I don't think we've seen a lot from Rashad Madaris yet. I think this could be a game where we see him break out. So there are options now starting to emerge through the first two weeks that Ritter is going to have the ability to kind of spread the ball around and keep defenses from keying on one guy here or one guy there. I think that is a something I want to see, especially over these next two weeks going into conference play. We, we need to see that continue, and we need to see it expand and Des to be more comfortable getting the ball out to those guys. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's that's where you can make some some hay against some teams that are going to be playing down the stretch here. I think for me, I want to see the offense get going from a run game standpoint. I know they yes. had a good good game when you well, just they wore UCLA it. down. Yeah, that's it. Wasn't pretty. Like, not that I'm looking for it to be pretty, but. It was more an accumulation than it was, like, good running, in my opinion. Like, I'd like to see them get the run game, even though it's against Miami, who's, you know, a solid team, but you should be able to run the ball, let's just be honest. And I'd like to see them get the run game going, whether it's Mike, whether it's Tavion, whether it's Ryan. You know, we still probably don't think Doug's going to play nothing official, but just, I don't I don't see him playing um, – just get that get run game going, and I'd like to see the defensive line kind of bounce back from the Ohio State game. Just didn't think they played well in the run or pass game and kind of throw the linebackers in there too. So it's kind of a running, running stop the run type of game for me. Yeah, I think – I'm interested to see Blaine Gabbert's little brother. What's his name? I don't Blaine Gabbert's little brother Blake. is all I know. Blake. Blaine and Blake. His parents are very original. This is this is very off topic, but whenever I hear Blake, Blaine Gabbard, you know, see now I've got him confused. Blaine Gabbard. <laughs> whenever I hear him, I always think of Peter King when he worked for Sports Illustrated in his final mock draft in the 2011 draft. He said the Bengals should take Blaine Gabbard over AJ Green. How'd that turn out? I mean, I guess we don't maybe Blaine Gabbert would have been awesome for Bengals, but I'm guessing since he's stunk for every team he's played for, <laughs> Bengals would probably be another one that he would stink for. And AJ would be awesome for whatever team he played for. That, so yeah, every, every time I hear the most logical, or, that's probably the most logical, uh, logical thought process. Assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Assumption. So yeah, I don't know why, but every time I hear Blaine Gabbard, I just think of that. But uh, he seems to be like I. I saw they were actually on FS1. I think it was for the Iowa game, so I watched a little bit of that. Um, and he didn't look. He doesn't seem out of place. He had I think he had three rushing touchdowns in the in the game against Tennessee Tech High, all from like the you know inside the five yard line. But he seems to be acquitting himself fairly well. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But if they're down, you know, they're not a huge skill group to begin with. And if they're down some of their best players at all their skill positions, it's, it's going to be, I, I imagine it'll be something 
to the effect of what happened when they played Iowa. Yeah, Cincinnati gets out, you know, a fairly close first half. Cincinnati with the lead, going to halftime, come out in the second half, take control of the game, um, and hopefully figure out a way to ride that out for a win by a fairly comfortable margin. Because if this isn't a, a two, two, three score game, the natives are going to start getting restless, my friend. Yeah. After the team went 11 and two last year, they're two and one this year. And a loss at Ohio state that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence granted, but a loss that if you were predicting the record to start the season, and you were honestly thinking 3-0 and at this point. I mean, come on. Um, Simone Family Tailgate, do we have a theme? No, no theme. Um, my mom will not will be at a wedding, so there's no oh, theme. come on! No, there are no fun decorations. There's just jello shots and beer. And I think we're having like it's very very guy ish hot dogs and brats and mets and as easy as possible. But I will be bringing. We do plan on bringing the little the new guy. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so 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 who's staying sober? You or the wife? That's a silly question. <laughs> oh, it's a very real question, my friend. It's a very real question. The Give plan me one is for... Okay, we'll see how it goes. We'll check back in next week and see how that played out. I'm I'm going low. If the little guy's going, I'm going I'm going I'm setting the over under at three point five Dave Simone beers. Oh, way over because we're driving separate. Like I can, I'm going to go home with my dad if they have to leave early. So, all right, you're 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 a bold, brave man, Dave Simone. A bold, brave yep. man. I know. All right. Well, let's get to the Trace Pountas score prediction. Who is Trace Pountas? You say. They sell fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order, and they are shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee is fresh. Where does Trace Pountas come from? Where are the beans grown, Dave? You want to know. You've heard of single origin coffee. Trace Pountas coffee is one level higher. Their coffee comes from a single family farm. Specifically, the high-quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Pantas in Brazil. So that's where it comes from, Dave. It's a single-family farm in Brazil. If you like Brazilian coffee, this is how you get it. You go to www.tracepantas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh, shipped out immediately. 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. Now they also have K-Cups. Now this is the key part. You go to the website, tracepoundtoss.com slash coffee. You get your subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. That's your choice. When you sign up, you go to checkout. At checkout, you enter Bearcats. 
That gets you 20% off your bag of coffee. You get free shipping and you get your subscription sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. However you like it. Ground coffee, whole beans, K-cups, light, medium, dark, French roast. That's the plan. That's how you get it taken care of. And now for the Trace Pountas score prediction of the day. Dave, what do you got? I think the Bears have to come out strong. Lines? I, I think I saw 16 and a half was the, where it opened. I, yeah, I haven't seen one. I haven't really paid that close attention to that yet. Um, that sounds probably about right, though. I think we come out strong. You know, trying to put last week behind him, playing with a lot of energy, back in nipper. I think they kind of can control it from start to finish. You know, I'm going to go Bearcats 34 or 38, Red Hawks 17. I, I was, I, I'm right there. I was thinking 35, 17. I was right there with you. That, that's kind of where I'm at, right in that same general vicinity, 35, 17, Cincinnati. I think that's about right. All right. You got anything else to add? It's a little bit of an abbreviated version. I want to get Dave back to uh, the, the little guy that was very unhappy, and it's always important to go support your wife in these situations where yeah, the little guy is unhappy. he's mad. There. He likes to watch football, so there's none on tonight. He's upset. No, that makes sense. I mean, you know, football is back. So now it's going to be a big part of his life for the next five months. I can see where yeah. he would be upset that there's no there's action hasn't started yet. No, not yet. So you don't get Tuesday and Wednesday night games, but hopefully he's on hand as the Bearcats hoist the victory bell for the 14th consecutive time on Saturday. Kickoff at noon, Nippert Stadium. I will be there. Dave will be there. Little Dave will be there. And Dave thinks he's going to get away with doing whatever he wants, and his wife's just not going to care. It's so adorable. Come, come to the tailgate and watch. All right, I'll be there. I'm gonna, I'll do my best to stop by. Kelly, I, I was talking about the baby. Kelly is now saying that she wants to come see the baby. Dave said, "Come All to right. the tailgate. You can see the baby." Find the place to park, and then I'm coming back. <laughs> she said no. <laughs> You don't want to see him that bad. Yeah, I got it out. My responsibility is to take a picture of the baby and send it to Kelly. Here, take a picture. Take a picture of him right now and send it to me, and we'll just yeah. Because I don't have any of those. You better be wearing your seat gear. Oh, she thinks she can just walk upstairs and take over the podcast, Dave. See, and you think it's you. Yeah, you. It's going to be so adorable when you really get into this fatherhood thing. I can't. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, hold on. We've got a special guest. That's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatDurham.com. I'm your host, Kelsey Brendel, and he's Justin Berg. No, it's Dave. <laughs> Dave Simone. Whatever. <laughs> it's Dave it's Simone. Kelsey. Dave Simone. Jeez, Justin Berg. She thinks it's, it's basketball season. It's All right, man. Well, Dave feels insulted that you called him Justin Berg. You messed up your your performance tonight. All right, brother. Well, I will see you on Saturday. And uh, Bearcats, Redhawks, noon at Nippert Stadium. 
He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. She's Kelsey Brendel. Justin Berg, nowhere to be found. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.